How's it going today, guys? Back here live in the studio for an episode of Hot Takes with TP3. It's Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. I'm your host, Thomas Penland, joined once again by Ben Goritz, fresh off some March Madness action. Ben, say what's up to the people. What's going on, everyone? Hope everyone had a great weekend full of March Madness. The action was packed. Oh, absolutely action-packed. I mean, Honestly, that was one of the best, you know, round of uh, 64 and 32 you could ask for. I mean, how often are you going to see a 15 seed and uh, the 15 seed, you know, make it to the to the uh, Sweet 16? And also, you know, you get to see a one seed go down in the round of 32. It was absolutely crazy. Tons of upsets and everything. Um, you know, I've been before. Actually, I feel like we got to address this first. I feel like this was the biggest takeaway so far from that from the, uh, um, the from the first two rounds. I mean, not only, Ben, did we sleep on the Pac-12, but, man, how overrated was the Big Ten? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I guess the Big Ten, like, they just beat up – they either just beat up on each other all season long. And, I mean, here's the thing, and someone told me this, and I kind of agreed with it, is almost every single one of these Big Ten teams plays the exact same style of basketball. I mean, almost, not all of them, but a lot of them – play a slow play slow paced game and you mix and match styles and you get in the tournament and listen this is one game it's not where this is a series you know literally anything can happen in in one game that's why March Madness is the greatest tournament there is that's why like for example the MLB wild card Mm -hmm. game where it's one game now anything can happen in one game your best player can have bad nights we just saw that with um, Preston for Ohio. He had zero points or two points in the first half against uh, – they just got eliminated by – Creighton. Creighton, thank you. Um, you know, you can't have that if you're trying to win games in March Madness in advance. Your best players are just ha- going to have to show up, and that's just the way the tournament works. And, you know, there were some games where the Big Ten – I mean, here's the thing. Like, with Ohio State in their first round, if you watch the first – five, six minutes of that game, I mean, Ohio State came out flat. I don't know if they didn't take their opponent very seriously. I don't know what it was, but you have to focus one game at a time. Like, just because you're a two seed does not mean you're advancing past the first weekend, as we just saw with Ohio State and some other Big Ten teams. Like, you know, you know, I'm not saying Illinois, for another example, took Loyola Chicago lightly, but Illinois did not look like themselves the first five minutes. Their mm-hmm. the defensive focus was – I mean, it had not been that bad all season long. And, listen, just because a lot of people don't watch Loyola Chicago or Oral Roberts or, or any of these teams during the regular season does not mean these kids can't play. And they play more as a team because there's not a guy that overshadows them on a team like Loyola Chicago, they're a good basketball team. Everyone touches the ball in every single offensive possession. They move without the ball. They screen for each other. They do all these things. So in one game in March Madness, anything can happen. And a lot of these Big Ten teams came out flat and just never recovered. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that, Ben, that a lot of these Big Ten teams came out flat, didn't recover. I mean, be honest with you guys, I never thought the Big Ten was the best conference. I always said that it was the Big 12, and, I mean, the Big 12 got more teams left now than the Big Ten do. Um, You know, I thought they had a lot of tough luck. I will say this, like, 
I was all over Oral Roberts against uh, Florida. And I mean, me and you even talked on the pod and we said, you know, that we thought that Loyola Chicago should be, shouldn't be, we thought they should be like a seven or a six seed. We didn't think they should have been a nine seed, you know? And then also too, we said, we thought Oral Roberts was the, probably the best 15 seed, you know, obviously we didn't think they were going to win. Even though I took him against a spread both games, I didn't think they were going to win, but I really felt like in that Florida game at the end of the game, you know, it felt like that Oral Roberts is getting every single call and it felt like nothing was going to go their way, you know? And then, I mean, when you look at it for Illinois, though, Illinois played big game after big game after big game after big game, you know? I feel like the letdown was due one way or another, and, you know, it just so happened that that was when the letdown came. I mean, don't get me wrong, Kurtwig ate their lunch inside the whole game. I mean, Loyal Chicago played a hell of a game defensively, and a lot of, on, like, a lot of people who break down basketball through like power rankings and stuff like that through college basketball, they have their ranking systems. Loyola Chicago ranked as a top 15 team from pretty much every single person who did that, even top 10. So, you know, honestly, like that kind of reminds you like the Wichita State team when they had to play that Kentucky team that kind of checked out the same way. Like how the hell were they a nine seed? You know, like I feel like Illinois was done a disservice for trying to have to play that team there. But at the same time, you know, not really any excuses. Illinois had their chance at it, but ultimately you know that's just how March Madness goes like you said it's one game in basketball you can come out shoot the ball bad you know or a lot of things you like a lot of times you see these teams do is they'll get up by 10 15 20 points and then they'll start to dribble the shot clock down to 20 seconds but when you do that you're not going to get good shots you know you're just trying to chuck in something up at the end of the clock and then the other team gets hot and then all of a sudden you're like wow we just had a 20 had a 15 point lead go down to six points and then you start pressing to get a bucket next thing you know the game's tied so you saw a lot of that go on you saw a lot of teams doing that stuff but like you said, Ben, that's just the randomness of March Madness of what happens in one game. Yeah, I mean, no game is ever over until the clock is at zeros. Um, but, I mean, you know, to talk about the Pac-12, just real quick, I, I don't know if, like, people thinking they're underrated is necessarily it. Like, I, I don't think Oregon State is viewed as that good of a team compared to the field that's left in the country. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they're just hot, and, and that's all that matters. They're making shots. They're making a lot of shots. Lots but, of um, Yeah, I mean, like, like USC being good, I don't – if that shocks a lot of people, then I, I don't think you've just followed recruiting college basketball because they have Evan Mobley. They also have his mm-hmm. brother. But Evan Mobley was – was he the number two prospect out of high school behind Cade Cunningham? Maybe number yeah. three prospect. He was top so, three. Yeah, and he's projected to be a top ten pick in the NBA draft even before he played his first college basketball game. And, you know, and this is just my opinion. I don't know how you think, but to me, in college basketball, one guy can make all the difference in the world. I think if you have one stud, you should make the tournament. And if you don't, then issues happen, whether it's injuries or your coach isn't that good. Because – I'm still baffled that Anthony Edwards and Georgia didn't make the tournament. Mm-hmm. How they, the kid was the number one pick in the NBA draft. He was the number one pick in the NBA draft yep. and Georgia was below 500. Like that shouldn't happen in college basketball. So what USC is able to do with a kid like Evan Mobley and they have talent around them, around him, but Evan Mobley is able to carry them in games and, and they're a team that's playing well right now. Oregon, on the other hand, they've been well coached. They, they've been a good team for years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a program that have made uh, the Sweet 16 multiple times. Did they go to the Elite Eight, or did they get bounced on the Sweet 16 two years ago? They lost to Virginia in the Sweet 16. By the way, correct me so if I'm sweet- wrong, but didn't you predict that one happening on our podcast last week? I did. So that region of 
Um, so the West region of everyone's bracket with Gonzaga as the one seed. Mm-hmm. I have everything correct except for the first round game between Oklahoma and Missouri. Wow. I have Missouri winning. I have everything else correct. That, that was the easiest region for me to pick mm-hmm. in, in any bracket March Madness I think I've ever done. Um, you know, it's just like the Ohio-Virginia – I think a lot of people had that upset coming. Virginia was dealing with a ton of COVID problems. Yeah. Um, I, I never saw Creighton. I always thought they could turn it up whenever they needed to. And I just thought as soon as they play Gonzaga, that's when they're going to run into their problems. So we'll see if I'm right on that. But, you know, like Oregon and USC, I I didn't pick other Pac-12 teams to go this far. So I'm not I'm not on the Pac-12 bandwagon yeah. of, of, you know, being 8-0 against the spread. That's not me. But I viewed those two teams as better than a lot of people thought they were because, let's be honest, I don't watch a lot of Pac-12. I know a lot of other people don't because they start so late. Yeah, I don't – I'm not going to lie, guys. I didn't watch a terrible amount of Pac-12 either. See, I feel like, honestly, when you see, like, Arizona was down, like, honestly, a lot of us, including me and you, Ben, thought Arizona State would be one of the best teams out of the Pac-12. I mean, they were awful this year. They didn't even have a 500 record. You know, usually Washington pulls in those big recruits. They were terrible this year. I mean, the Pac-12, though, was definitely slept on. Um, by the way, I forgot. I don't know if I mentioned this or not when we first started off, but both me and Ben's teams, FSU and uh, and Alabama, are still dancing. So you got to love to see that. Both our teams advanced. Let's see another day. Um, but, yeah, you know, I would say, honestly, the biggest and thing my the Pac- team, My team has – my. are you still there? You froze a little bit. I was going to say my team has – yeah, I was going to say my team might have to be the first team to beat a Pac-12 team. <laughs> yeah, actually, my team was the first team. Florida State knocking out Colorado yesterday. Oh, that's right, Colorado. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Good yeah, call. yeah. I'm not going to lie, guys. I was really nervous going to that one. But, yeah, you know, the, the I would say, honestly, the Pac-12, you know, this – like you said, you know, Oregon State's been on fire. I didn't even realize this until after they had won that first game. But they had won, like – it was like 10 out of their last 11 games to close out the season, and they had covered the spread by over – by an average of 18 points margin over that span of time. So, I mean, that team was – that's they're just crazy on fire right now. I mean, me and you both said, Ben, we said Tennessee, you know, we weren't crazy confident in them, even though we picked them both to advance, like – I feel like the Pac-12 got some favorable matchups, but at the same time, I feel like they're kind of the hidden gym, you know, like you said, playing at that weird time where not a lot of people get to watch them. But I would say, if anything, this is what we expected in March Madness. We said there's going to be some sort of crazy upset that we didn't think was going to happen, but ultimately I would say Gonzaga still looked damn good. And honestly, you know, I was touching Ben about this. I said we kind of slept on Baylor. I feel like Baylor has that extra motivational edge that you like to see in the tournament, kind of like how Virginia had. Last year, they didn't get a play in the national championship. Obviously, last year, they didn't get a play in the tournament because it got canceled. They were the best team in the nation. You know, this year before they got shut down for COVID, they were arguably as good as Gonzaga. Then they turn around and get bounced early in their Big 12 championship game. Now they've come out here with a fiery edge. Everybody's overlooking them, looking past them. I feel like that we kind of slept on this Baylor team a little bit. I mean, they looked unbelievable against Wisconsin in the second round. Yeah, and it's no secret that March Madness success a lot of the time comes from great guard play. Mm-hmm. I, there's not a, another team in the country that has better guards than Baylor. I mean – because Gonzaga has – they have it all. They have good big men. They have one of the best point guards in Jalen Suggs. But but Baylor's, um, you know, probably three best players, Mitchell, yeah. Teague, and Butler. I mean, they're all guards. So And then they're the big uh, – not even a big man. He's just tall. Um, uh, long hair, number 24. Oh, oh. Um, 
Oh, you're talking about Flo Famba? Yeah, that's what you call him. Yeah, he plays like a guard is my point. He, he's not a post-up guy. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that will set some screens and do pick and pop, hang out kind of on the three-point line. And he can dribble, but, I mean, they're guard heavy, and that's what has had success a lot of uh, March Madness turn. And uh, just quick little tidbit. Did you know uh, Jerome Butler for Baylor was committed to Alabama at one point? I did not know that. Yeah, he decommitted and ended up going to Baylor, but that's that's a story for another time. <laughs> hey, y'all are still doing more than fine without him. Um, ben, what would you say was the best game you watched overall in the tournament in the first in the first two rounds? I mean, you could pick your poison with one of the upsets in in the first round. I feel like that that has to be on everyone's top of their list. Um, just because who doesn't who doesn't like to watch an upset? I mean, who cares like you know, if you have money on it in terms of betting, that's one thing. I get that. But I, listen, I the brackets are just so for fun that even if you lose, I think it's so much fun to watch an upset happen mm-hmm. in anyone's bracket. Um, I guess if I had to pick one, though, I mean, Oral Roberts over Ohio State was unbelievable to watch. It, I, that totally threw me off guard, to be honest with you. I wasn't paying that much attention to the game in the first half, then I saw it was close. Um, because I believe that game was it was during work hours, and I turned it on, on my phone, and I'm like, okay, what's happening? Is Ohio State going to figure this out? And they never did. So I'll go with Oral Roberts over Ohio State. I think is my favorite victory. Um, I mean, other than that, I mean, watching Alabama just not miss any shot against uh, Maryland last night was a lot of fun. I mean, I'll go. I'm gonna stick with. I'm gonna stick with that. Uh, that Oral Roberts victory. Yeah, um, I'm actually gonna go with Oral Roberts second round victory. See, actually, the crazy thing is the first round. I listened to it. So there's a podcast I typically listen to. I was listening to it, and they were talking about that game. And one of the guys said, "He goes, yeah, this is. I feel like this is a situation where the wrong team's favored." And I was like, "I was like, okay, I definitely like Oral Roberts the spread, but the wrong team's favored." I was like, "Get out of here with that!" And then it turned out it happened. I was like. I was like, whoa, wait a second. I was like, this guy literally said the wrong team was favorite. I couldn't believe it. But um, I would actually say my favorite one was the second game between the, for Oral Roberts against Florida because I had a huge bet on, on uh, Oral Roberts. I think I was texting you, and I was like, wow. I was like, this yeah. one got away from Oral Roberts. And then next thing you know, it just felt like, it felt like Florida couldn't do anything all of a sudden. Florida was turning the ball over. They were fouling. They were doing exactly like I just talked about where they were dribbling the clock down to 10 seconds and then doing something stupid with the ball. And then Oral Roberts couldn't mix. Next thing you know, you look up. It's a one-point game with like, thir- with like 45 seconds left. And next thing you know, Florida's packing the bags and going home. So I would say that was probably my favorite game in the entire first round. But also, too – I thought Arkansas Texas Tech was a hell of a game. I mean, they just traded oh, basket for finish. basket down the stretch. Great yeah. finish. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great basketball. And honestly, the thing I love about March Madness that really makes it, in my opinion, the best sporting event is, I mean, it felt like every single one of those games were tight, especially on Sunday. I mean, it felt like Sunday we were just watching tight finish after tight finish after tight finish. I mean, there's nothing more fun than that, and I guarantee you it's only going to get better this next weekend. Yeah, I mean, speaking of this next weekend, I think – your team's matchup. I think Michigan, Florida state. Um, I mean, I, I think it has the potential to be the game of the year. These two teams, these two teams match up very well together. And, you know, like if livers, I, I don't think he's end, he's going to end up playing, but with livers in the lineup, I think it's no question. Michigan's better. Than, they're better than Florida state. 
I think Michigan, even without Livers, just the way they've been playing, I, mm-hmm. I think they're I think they're still a better team than Florida State. But this is a very winnable game for the Seminoles. I just, you know, it, it, I think what's gonna it's gonna come down to can Florida State limit their turnovers? That yeah. that's the turnover bug is really bitten mm-hmm. Leonard Hamilton's team. It hasn't hurt them obviously because they're still in the tournament, but the, I mean they gotta they gotta cut these turnovers down. Um, because Michigan is a team that if, if they can space you out in transition, like they have, they have, they still, even without livers have a good amount of guys that can knock down these transition threes and, uh, Brown for them, just coming off one of the best games probably he's played all year. I think he had 26 in this last round for Michigan. I mean, listen, Dickinson's still there. I think, I, I think this is a really good matchup because I think Florida state size can match up on the defensive end against Michigan's strength and offense. So it's just, if Florida state can, can keep it under, I'm just going to throw out a number. Let's just say like 13 to 14 turnovers. If they have under that. I think they have a very good chance to win this game. If Michigan can turn Florida state over, I think the Seminoles could be in trouble. I agree with you completely Ben. And you know, I was weird. I think, did you have LSU beating Michigan as well? Or is that just me? No, I had Michigan. Okay. So I'll say this. I said that I didn't think Michigan's bench could produce the way they would without livers. I mean, they only played three guys on the bench. Their bench put in 27 points, but Shondi Brown put in 21 of those off the bench. And, you know, 21. That's, one, okay. that's, that's, yeah, 21 points off the bench. And, you know, that's one of those when you're sitting there and you had LSU like me and you're just like, well, damn, the one thing I was relying on not happening happened. You know, you got to, hang your hat on that one. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a hell of a matchup. If we can take care of the ball, we should be, I mean, like the, even that first half against Colorado, our defense was amazing that whole game. It was just the first half. We turned the ball over a ton. The second half we took care of the ball and we blew that thing right open and won by 18 points, you know? So has this been a thing for Florida state? Because Florida state turned it over. I think the most I've ever seen them ever turn it over against Georgia tech. And then even in their first round, um, I, I feel like they, they won by 10. I, I feel like they should have won by 25 if they could just cut the turnovers down. And then like you mentioned in the first half against, is this, is this a thing all year that I just haven't noticed? So ever since we came back from the COVID shutdown, it's become more of a thing. Also MJ Walker has ankle and knee injuries. So he doesn't really practice anymore. And ever since all that stuff became really problematic for us. And we had that COVID shutdown, we really haven't looked like the same team. Like we can't put together two consistent halves of basketball. I would say that Colorado game though, is the closest we've come to putting together two halves of basketball in a while, which is what you like. Like I would say we probably put together like 32 to 35 solid minutes of basketball. And I mean, look how much we won by. So say that's about what it, what it's at for us now um but also tune in friday guys me and ben and got another where we break up every single game on the card we're going to break down all the games for y'all against the spread because you know we got time and we finally have lines that are projected out a few days so look be on the lookout for that on friday and also too we're probably going to talk about some nba trade deadline stuff coming that podcast because the trade deadline is on thursday um i was gonna was gonna go to Galladay to the lions next but because i just teased it Got to go with the NBA trade deadline. Ben, have you been uh, looking at any of these wild and crazy rumors like the ones they've had with John Collins? There's a, there's a lot of rumors floating out there. There's a lot with John Collins. There's a, a whole lot with Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. That seems inevitable to get done at some point. I, from what I've read, that they're just going to take the best offer on the table that they have for Aaron Gordon. So it does sound like he's 100% going to be gone. I'm pretty sure you and I have been saying the Magic need to trade between – I mean, I, trade someone. You, I mean, I just 
for a yeah. while now. But uh, I mean, the, I would say like John Collins, like I, I, I don't know what's going to happen because what I do not think the Hawks can afford to do is to let to let the season finish without trading him and then just to let him walk in free agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, but I mean, here's the thing is I, I don't necessarily think he should get a max contract from the Hawks. He's yeah. his numbers. His numbers are good. I mean, they're, he's averaging 18 points, just around, just under eight rebounds, 54% for the field, 37% from threes. Those are just some basic numbers to throw out there. Those are good numbers, but his numbers don't equal wins for the Hawks. There's other people that contribute. And I think with giving Gallinari the 61 million, which I think is a horrendous contract at this point, I mean, he's, he's barely played in the year one. And when he plays, he, he's nowhere. He's not even top three, top four, most significant players on the team. So I think that contract's going to hold the Hawks back, but I, I don't think the Hawks can just strap into Gallo's uh, Gallinari's contract. And then you eventually got to pay Trey young and then, John Collins, I think that's a bad road to go down if you're paying all three of them. So I think you just need to find a trade partner, but he's a good player. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes to the right team and he can start contributing, but he's not worth a max contract. 18 and eight and one all-star game, if, if any, it, you don't get a max contract for those numbers. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one, Ben. I don't want to pay John Collins a max contract, but at the same time, I think he's way too talented to let walk for absolutely nothing. I think the Hawks have to flip He's 23. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. You can't let a 23-year-old guy like that walk. I mean, if he could defend the rim, I would be all for maxing him out, but he can't, and that's why I'd rather choose to pay Capella over him. I honestly don't have a problem with the Hawks paying him and flipping him at some point in time. I just don't think once that we have our like championship roster that he's going to be a part of it ultimately. Like the Hawks end up end up resigning him. I really don't have a problem, but I could really see one of these teams trying to go out and offer him a max offer sheet in the offseason. We really don't want to let him hit free agency though and then have to match some absurd offer, you know, or let him mm-hmm. go for absolutely nothing. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. Last reports I read though said that Atlanta didn't want to trade him. So odds are I think he's probably gonna stick around. Well, I mean, it's because it, I, I'm sure if I had to guess the reason why they're not wanting to trade him is because they're eight and one since they fired Lloyd Pierce. Yeah. So the Hawks are looking at this we're like, OK, we as a team are winning now. Why would we break up the band? And I, I get that. I get that mindset. That makes sense. But you need to take a deep dive, look into it, because th- you just I, I don't think I mean, listen, Trey Young's going to get a max. It's not super max. Whether he deserves a supermax, we can leave that up for another debate. But I mean, he's listen. He's a great player. I'm not saying he he's not, but he at the end of the day, he does not play much defense, and he never will. He is never going to improve on defense. I I believe that. I just uh, Steph Curry's at a point. I mean, I'm only saying Steph Curry because people compare their games. They're smaller guards. They're great mm-hmm. shooters. Steph Curry had has figured out how to play enough defense, and the Warriors surrounded him with great defensive players. I mean, like Draymond's one of the best. Yeah. Um, defenders the league has seen since he's gotten really good. Clay is a great two-way guard. Um, they drafted Wiseman now, but they've had other guys in the past before they kind of broke up that team. And the Hawks are definitely trying for that. I mean, Cam Reddish has been a good defender, not much of an not much of a offensive player, but good defender. Yeah. DeAndre Hunter, when healthy, is a good defender. Collins is decent as a defender, but he's six nine, and and that can be a little tough. Um, if you're going up against like a Sabonis, you know, but then when you brought in Capella, he plays great defense. 
So uh, I don't know. Does Bogdanovich play much defense? He's definitely more of an offensive player, right? Not great, but yeah, he's more of a shooter and kind of dribble drive. Right. Guy. So you either like Trey either needs to improve individually on defense uh, because I don't think he's going to be growing at this point in his life, mm-hmm. um, or the Hawks need to continue to surround him with two way players. And I think you have to give up Collins to get another forward that can play two ways. I think well, that's the way to do it. I don't know if you saw the rumors or not. The rumors were we were trying to trade Cam Reddish for Lonzo Ball. I assume that won't happen since it already hasn't happened. But I don't think that's a terrible trade. You know, Lonzo's having the best year of his career. He can shoot the ball. He can help stretch the floor with that. And he can play defense as well. I think he at least adds a little bit more defense and a little more offense to go with this defense that Cam Reddish is adding for us right now, which would be, you know, nice little something to plug in the offense. Ultimately, though, I don't think that we're going to end up making any kind of move. Like that. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Hawks do something or other. I don't think it's going to be any sort of crazy move. Let's talk about the, the guy you're talking about earlier, and that was Aaron Gordon. So something that people are sleeping on right now is the Celtics have an $18.6 million trade exception because of uh, Gordon Hayward leaving them in free agency and opting out of his uh, player option. Um so the Celtics are either trying to get Aaron Gordon or Nick Vucevic. I think the Celtics have to come out here and do something. I mean, this is a Celtics team that has clearly underperformed so far this season. They have a, they need somebody inside. I mean, it feels like that they're missing a player. I mean, it feels like this team isn't playing well together. It feels like Brad Stevens is undercoaching this team, believe it or not, but he has not done a great job with this team either, and he gets some of the blame as well. Do you think He'll getting Aaron – What? He'll admit that. He said it in a quote. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, everybody's to blame in Boston. Everybody's got fingers to point. Do you think if they add Aaron Gordon or Nick Vucevic here at the trade deadline that it will change things for them? And also, do you think the Magic are going to trade one of those two guys to them? So you and I have so – you and I, during our um, our preview of the NBA, said the Celtics needed to upgrade at the big man position. Mm-hmm. And, and that's – I'm not trying to knock Daniel Tice. He, he's actually a good player. He's not enough, and that's the problem. And Vucevic, I know that his contract is ridiculous um, to some people, but he is such a big upgrade over a player like Daniel Tice. And if you can bring Tice – like, I mean, you, like, I like what Robert Williams gives off the bench. I, I like that you can play a taco fall for, like, six, seven minutes in a game. You know, he doesn't play a ton, but he can give you some – some solid, solid yeah. minutes in a small role. I I think Vucevic is such an upgrade. He's such a tremendous player. I don't think Vucevic is going to be traded if I have to pick between one of the two in the Magic. I think Aaron Gordon is the more likely guy to be traded. I think Aaron Gordon can help the Celtics, but I don't think that puts them where they want to be. I don't think adding Aaron Gordon puts them – in the top three in the Eastern Conference in terms of talented teams, I, I don't think he adds that much value. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's I think he's a solid player, but he's not a Vucevic type. And I, I I think the Celtics, like I just said, I think it would be an upgrade by getting um, Aaron Gordon, depending on who they had to give up if they yeah. you know, if they had to give up anyone big. I I don't think it puts them to where they're. I'm looking at them as the Eastern Conference team. I agree with you. I don't think Aaron Gordon can get them over that hump. He only has one more year left on his deal after this one at $16 million. Vucevic would still have two more due on his deal. So I think that Orlando is looking for more of like big, they, you know what I mean? Like they want a bigger return for Vucevic. I made the all-star team this year. You know, they're thinking that they should, they get more than two first round picks and like Romeo Langford for him. I think they want 
way more than that. I think if the Celtics got Vucevic, they could eat, they could definitely make themselves into the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Aaron Gordon, not so much. I still think Philadelphia and the Nets would be head and shoulders better than them if they just get Aaron Gordon in here. Because I mean, even in the playoffs in the Toronto series when Orlando was in, even last year when Orlando was in the playoffs. I don't even Aaron Gordon. I don't even. I believe didn't really even. I think he was hurt last year during the playoffs, and the year before that, he was awful in the playoffs. Like they had to sit him down a lot and let Jonathan Isaac get more playing time than he did. I think Aaron Gordon ultimately will be traded. I think that Boston makes sense because of those because tr- of that trade exception. I feel like that he makes the most sense there. I've seen Dallas wants him. I don't. Dallas has got a lot less to offer. They can't offer anything besides like much later first round picks. Same thing with Miami. So. I think that Aaron Gordon is definitely out of there. I mean, he said he wants out of there. It'll just be a matter of what it goes for. Now, the other team I mentioned, the Miami Heat, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I've seen them in the 76ers with their names tied a lot to Kyle Lowry. Apparently, they don't want to give up Tyler Hero. They're willing to part ways with Duncan Robinson. Um, the Heat can't trade first-round picks until 2025 and 2027 because of picks they've traded up in the past. Oklahoma City owns a bunch of those first-round picks, I believe. Um but, you know, it's tough for Miami to do something. They're also going to have to move one of uh, Goran Dragic or Kelly Olynyk, So you're going to be eating one of those salaries on the other end of things. Um, I think the Heat here are going to make some sort of move. I don't know what it's going to be ultimately yet. I think Victor Oladipo could be a guy that see them, they'll let you see them go after. I think he's out in Houston. I think pretty much everybody is tradable in Houston except for Christian Wood. It's Christian Wood and everybody else. Um, I mean, do you, do you see – They got to get rid of – well, I, I think another player on the Rockets, uh, we haven't seen move yet, but I do think they will move is Eric Gordon. His contract, though, is really bad. I it's, believe he makes – re- It's yeah, bad. Yeah, he got $18 million due next year or the year after and one more. So three more years at $18 million, I don't think anybody wants to eat that. If it was like $10 yeah. million, I would agree. Shoot, if it was at that, I would say, why don't the Hawks go out and get him? You know what I mean? Like, he was one of those players, right, once they started sucking, I was like, shit, let's get him out of here. But the I money just, doesn't I, make I, any sense. No, it doesn't. I just meant that I think the Rockets are, are going to at least try and move him. Yeah. There's no reason they need to pay him that much money to be as bad as they are. Mm-hmm. They just they just lost what twenty straight games. Yeah, and a guy a guy I would actually like they to see our Hawks go out and get is Norman Powell. I mean, Norman Powell, you know, is going to be available here at the trade deadline. He's been balling out. I mean, if we could give up Kevin Herter and like a top twenty protected first round pick, I would totally go out and get Norman Powell. But I don't know what. See, did, that's the thing is, the, I don't know what the asking price is. Who did the Heat just add, uh, like last week or two weeks ago? They added a good defender. Oh, they added uh, Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza, thank you. Um, I think um, a player that's on the Raptors now. I don't think Toronto is is just willing to give this guy up. I think they would yeah. rather uh, give Powell up. But if I'm a team and and I need a guy, a three and D guy. I would give them a call about OG and Anobi. Yeah. I, see, he's, he's a guy, he's a young athletic guy mm-hmm. that has playoff experience and, and does play great defense. Now, I don't think that makes much sense for the Miami Heat because they have a lot of good perimeter yep. um, perimeter defenders already. I I think the Bucks can upgrade at perimeter defense, though. Yeah, they did get PJ Tucker, which I actually did like that. Oh, you're right. Them. You're right about that. Yeah, I did like, but uh, hey, I agree with you. They could still go out and get another guy like that. It's not a bad, it's not a terrible idea. If, I think, if, I think Ananobi, the, though, the they've, already, not, they've already said Ananobi, yeah. though, is part of like their long term rebuild. So I don't okay. think they want to move on from him. I, my point is about the Bucks is 
I don't think you can realistically look at their look at their uh, roster mm-hmm. and say we definitely have enough with Giannis and around Giannis to definitely make a finals because you we haven't seen enough from Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton got a max contract, and I know that he's a really good shooter, but if you're going to be the max contract on a on a team, like you you have to be your team's second option. Mm-hmm everywhere like and and i don't think he's definitive the second option i think drew holiday is a nice option and i think they have some other pieces and i i don't know like why not just add to it if you could i, I don't know if you can fully trust chris middleton and Giannis, the two of them to show up in every playoff game of every single series because i got news for you there's teams in the east that defend Giannis pretty well the heat did not the heat defended the heat have off the top of my head four, maybe five guys that can all slow down Giannis. I don't know if anyone can guard him, but, I mean, they have Bam Adebayo does a great job. Jimmy Butler does a great job. They both did a great job. Um, Andre Iguodala, I mean, he's guarded LeBron James more than anyone in LeBron James's career. So, I mean, if you can – he doesn't really guard LeBron that well, but at least he puts up size. And then Trevor Ariza, I think, is another guy. So, I just – I don't, I don't know if the Bucks have enough. And that contract gets worse and worse and worse as the years go on with Giannis that you don't make a finals. Yep, I agree with you completely on that one, Ben. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see all these trades that happen in the Eastern Conference. The Lakers ended up making uh, Montrezl Harrell and uh, KCP available for trade. Um, I would say some other names that we've seen float around is you've seen Harrison Barnes, you've seen Neiman Bialica, Obviously, I said Lonzo Ball. Ricky Rubio is available for trade. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie. I think Jinley's Eric Bledsoe is. I think Eric yeah. Bledsoe is also available. Stephen Adams as well is available for trade. Um, yeah, there's a lot of guys who are available right now. So, I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I wish that we had some more like, you know, like trades that have been mentioned and stuff that we could go through. But it's it's we're gonna have, let's put it this way. My favorite podcast is always the post trade deadline one to see how where everybody goes. I think some crazy trades will happen here. I mean, we're going to see teams in the Eastern and Western Conference making all kinds of crazy moves. Why would why would the Lakers be trying to get rid of Montrez? He just hasn't, they have- he hasn't played as well as they would like him to. And, you know, they feel like that they already have Kuzma, who plays the four. I mean, Anthony Davis is supposed to be coming back from injury. Um, okay. You know, I feel, I feel like they feel like that they need another score on the wing rather than, you know, having Montrez Harrell at this point in time, which That's- I – that's interesting to me because Montrez is a great defender mm-hmm. and he's a tremendous offensive rebounder, just a tremendous energy guy. Uh, runs the floor better than a lot of bigs in the NBA. Um, so that one's interesting to me. Um, I also, I totally lost my train of thought. I mean, Steven Adams is kind of interesting to me, um, but not as much as Trez. Like, I, oh, well, I know what I was going to say. The Lakers depending on how long LeBron and AD are out, I mean, mm-hmm. this is going to get interesting. The West is so tight, right? I mean, if you look at the standings, they're, it, it's always so, um, you know, give or take a game or two between, usually it's like the five and then the um, all the way down to the 10 now is usually pretty close. If the Lakers end up sliding without LeBron and without AD, yeah. and no question, they're going to lose a couple games. I mean, they're going to – They what if they play a two or a three seed in the first round? There's no shot that that team who's playing them beats the Lakers. 
So that's going to be interesting to watch to see. And I know that there's a lot of time left. And LeBron, as of right now, is only expected to miss, I think, a month, which for him, it's going to be less than a month because he's an anomaly. Yeah. Um, we Everyone knows he works hard. Um, it keeps his body up to shape and stuff. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying, though, right? Like, like everyone's projected the Lakers be a one-two, a three-seed at the, at the worst. I don't think a lot of yeah. people projected that. If they end up playing a two-seed in that first round, I don't care who it is. You're not LeBron James is not losing in the first round, not him and Anthony Davis. So that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on because I have not heard a timeline for Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis got bumped back two more weeks. So, right. And bumping back means I don't know how realistic two weeks is. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that could be a, a hopeful timeline. I don't know how true it is. I think they're not going to this- rush him. Yeah, in the playoffs. I think at this point, the Lakers are looking at it kind of like a March Madness type thing. Let's just get in and we'll worry about what we got to do once we get in. Yeah, I mean, listen, they ain't losing first round. I don't care who they play. I agree with you completely on that. Nobody, that'd be a worse nightmare. You get the one seed and you get to play the eight seed of the Lakers. Like teams would be, you know, teams would not be happy about that. Honestly, they'd probably end up being the seven seed just because if they had to play in that play in tournament, you know, damn well they're going to win that play in tournament and go all the way up to the seven seed. And I don't think the Lakers are going to slide that far back. Same. I think, I think they'll end up finishing anywhere between three and six at the worst. But I, I would be shocked even if they slid all the way down to the six. Yeah, I mean, right now in the standings, I'm pulling them up as we speak right now. I mean, the Lakers still in the standings. They're 28 and 15. I mean, to go all the way to the eight seed, that's 22 and 19. So, I mean, they've six. Yeah, that's six losses. I mean, that means they have to lose six games in a row while these other teams win six in a row. I don't think that's right. But if you, you, I mean, their schedule coming up, right? They Mm -hmm. play at New Orleans tonight. Uh, They're underdogs in the game. They, yeah, but they're underdogs. They play Philadelphia, Cleveland, Orlando, and Milwaukee as their next five games. You don't want to go one and four. (laughs) Realistically, that should be a two and three. You know, you also got to think Orlando is going to fire sale off some of these guys. So Orlando should should probably be able to get past Friday against Cleveland. You know, it could be interesting, but yeah, I know, you know, I, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see how this slide, how, how far the Lakers slide and everything. Um, And if the six, if the Sixers or the Bucks lose to the Lakers without LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you might as well just tell them, don't even finish the season. You have no chance at a title. <laughs> don't even worry about it. Just just go on early vacation. I mean, they should blow the Lakers out. They should blow them out if they're that good. Mm-hmm. No, that is a very valid point, Ben. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care what happens. I don't care if you're hungover or shit. You should not be losing to the Lakers without LeBron or Anthony Davis. Uh-uh. It should never happen in a million years. Um Next up now, let's switch things over to football. This is our first football topic we've done in a while. We're about to get more football topics going for you all, though, because of the draft. It's just a busy time right now with baseball starting in March Madness and everything. Ben, the Lions – or it's not the Lions. The Lions lost Kenny Galladay as he is signed with the New York Giants. The Giants now are going to be getting Saquon Barkley back. They have rookie quarter or third-year quarterback Daniel Jones now. They're going to, they have a decent offensive line. They're probably going to use another draft pick to bolster that offensive line. I mean, you got Darius Slayton and Galladay now on the edges. Evan Ingram is your tight end. Do you think this Kyle Giants Rudolph team should, in? oh yeah, that too. I mean, do you think this Giants team should be favored to win the division? 
as of today, yes, because I have no idea where Dak Prescott stands. Um, and I don't think the Cowboys are are like that great of a team, but I, I mean, Dak makes them that much better. Dak's, Dak's a good quarterback in the NFL. Um, what does this tell me about the Giants is we're about to find out if Daniel Jones is the real deal or not. It's, you know, it, it just – I love to see what kind of teams – um, who start with a rookie quarterback, what route they mm-hmm. take in the following years. Because if there's not enough talent around a quarterback, it's it's simply not fair to judge the entire picture. I think that's true for a guy like Sam Darnold. I, I do. I think Sam Darnold, I, I think a lot of people blame Adam Gase more. But at some point, Darnold has to show you something. And that that's the same thing for um, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has shown the ability that he can be accurate in some games and he can use his legs to the giants advantage in a lot of the games. He's a very good runner. He turns the ball over way too much to be a franchise quarterback. And I think now that you add a weapon like Kenny Galladay and I've, I've been hearing, or I've been reading that they might even add another receiver in the draft. Uh, you know, if they can fall into a spot where it makes sense, whether Waddle, Devontae Smith, uh, they're probably not going to get Jamar Chase, but there's there's a million receivers out there, right? So I would like to see them maybe even add another one. And if you build the weapons around Daniel Jones, which coming this season, he's going to have the best um, core of weapons around him since coming into the NFL. Yeah, He's going to have Saquon, like you mentioned. He's got Galladay, who's proven to be a good um, NFL receiver. He's a big target, which helps a lot of quarterbacks. You can throw some 50-50 balls. If Evan Ingram can figure out how to catch a damn uh, football, he's a talented kid. And Slayton is another guy. So they have the weapons. If Daniel Jones can't produce this year, he's, I think he's got two more years on his rookie contract. He won't be there in two years. He, this is his prove-it year to the Giants. And I think Joe Judge is a guy that is going to be very quick to move on from players that he, that he is ready to move on from. If Daniel Jones continues to turn the ball over and the Giants don't up their wins, Daniel Jones won't be there. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that, especially after you go out and spend the big bucks on a guy like Galladay. Um, I actually think Daniel Jones will, though. I liked Daniel Jones a lot coming out of college. Obviously, I thought that he should have gone you know, more about where Haskins went rather than the third overall pick of the draft. <laughs> But I think Daniel Jones is still going to be a hell of a player. I think he's going to have a hell of a career. I mean, we saw how athletic and good he can be on that run where he got caught by the turf monsters. That was actually the fastest run by any NFL player all season long, I believe. Um, I mean, Daniel Jones has got wheels. He's an athletic beast. He can do a lot of different things for your team. I think Jones will and is going to play a lot better this season for the Giants. I mean, he's finally going to have healthy weapons around him. I mean, he looked good sometimes with Golden Tate and, uh, and Darius Slayton as his top two targets in there. This Giants team has been injured. They're going to get the offensive line help from him in there. I think Joe Judge and this team is only going to do better in his second year. I thought they overachieved a lot last year, and I think they're going to do the same thing again this year because they're going to be more healthy. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, it's them and mm-hmm. the Washington football team who have upgraded big time this offseason. Obviously, the Eagles, um, we they're just kind of all over the place. I, I don't think they'll be that good. I agree. Um, nothing against my guy Jalen Hurts, but I, I just I don't see their their the the Eagles uplifting over the Giants or uh, the football team this year. And then, like I mentioned with Dak, like it's they're always a wild card team, the Cowboys, and I'm not expecting them to be that good, but this division is just chaos every year. 
And so as of right now, I'm going to predict the Cowboys come third in this division behind um, the Giants and Washington football team. But you never know. And I, I mean, here's the thing with another thing with Daniel Jones, though. The offensive coordinator, who's Jason Garrett for the Giants, is, is back. So you get a whole offseason, you get year two, and maybe they get on the same page. Maybe you can add more things now um, to, to Daniel Jones' repertoire. He's a quarterback. You got to get him moving outside the pocket. I think you have to, I think you have to utilize his athleticism. But I also think the Giants have a guy in Saquon Barkley, if he can stay healthy, that he can take a lot of pressure off Daniel Jones. And if they want to become a, a defensive and run the football team, they absolutely can't because they are getting one of the best running backs in the NFL back in Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. And they had a pretty good defense last year and they've only upgraded. Uh, well, I mean, they, they've paid money to upgrade. We'll see if the players work out for them, for the giants, you know, they got a Dory Jackson mm-hmm. and they re-signed uh, Leonard Williams. And I think they made another move on defense. Yeah, they did. I can't remember who it is either. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. See, I think Fitzpatrick will be good in Washington football team, but at the same time, when you look at how Ryan Fitzpatrick plays for two games, he'll be Fitz magic. And then two games, he'll be Ryan Fitzpatrick, the backup quarterback that's played for 10 different teams in the NFL. You know, he's a very inconsistent guy. And I think we'll continue to see that with him in Washington. Um, Like you said, you know, the Eagles are going to be a dumpster fire. There's going to be, who knows what's going to happen with them. And then I still think Dallas, no matter how much better Dak Prescott makes that offense, I mean, that defense looked awful. Yeah, it's going to take a while to fix up that defense. Ultimately, I think this division's wide open. I think it'll take about seven and nine to eight and eight to win the division, which I think the the Giants should be able to do. I like the Giants to win this division. I think Daniel Jones and Galladay, I mean, Galladay won't have the best year of his career, but I think I, because obviously, you know, it'd be harder to do better than he did in Detroit two years ago. But I think Daniel Jones is due for a career year, and I think this Giants team's going to explode and play well. Um, Ben, anything else? we should say before yeah, we get I mean, out of here. Well, here's the thing. I was talking about if the Giants want to become that run and uh, the running gun defensive team. Mm-hmm. That's what the football. That's what the Washington football team was last year when all the mm-hmm. quarterbacks started to get hurt. And you know, also I'll say this: if the Giants' win total and the Washington football team's win total is around eight, I'm going to take. I, I, I'm going to take it over. If Washington could win seven, if they were seven and nine last year. I think they should be better than seven nine this year. Another year on Ron Rivera. I think you get at least consistent quarterback play because their quarterbacks were all over the place last year between injuries, right? I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, for the most part in his entire career, has remained healthy. And I think we now should have the confidence that if Taylor Heineke needs to play, I think he can play. I think he proved enough to me, don't you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. And in terms of the Giants, like their defense should, their defense was good. It should be even better. And you get Saquon back and their offense should be better. And they only won six games last year. So I think they could get more than seven wins as well. So I'm going to be looking at those win totals for those two teams. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I'm, I might have to hit those win totals with you as well. Um, anything else we need to talk about before that we get up out of here? I think that's all. Yeah, that's all I got for me as well. Um, 
Like I said, make sure to tune into this podcast. Also, Friday, me and Ben will be dropping our kind of March Madness picks and everything. So that's going to be a fun, exciting podcast. Can't wait to do one of those again. And then also as well, um, we will be right after this, we're recording our um, NL and AL West MLB preview. So we're about to be pumping those out. We've got two more coming out for y'all next week. Um, appreciate everybody tuning in and we'll talk to y'all again soon.